Good morning. I want to start today by addressing the senseless act of violence that occurred on Tuesday night in Atlanta. I continue to be at a loss for words. People's opportunity to exist and to matter continue to be under attack by a plague of the mind that places a higher value on one kind of human over another. And this morning, I don't have necessarily words of comfort because those feel dull and misguided, but as a group driven by grace and faith, we have a duty to work with communities of all stripes to love this world right again. Storyline has work to do. We don't have all the answers, but on behalf of our entire team, I want to invite you to join us in doing all we can to foster a community of grace in our neighborhoods, in our county, and as far as our reach will go. Music is all I think about. From the moment I wake up in the morning to the moment I fall asleep at night. I was born to play. It's my reason for living. Hello? What the? This weed, the council. There's a soul missing. Is this heaven? No. Is it H E double hockey sticks? Hell, hell, hell. Quiet coyotes. <laughs> no, it's the great before. This is where new souls get their personalities, quirks, and interest before they go to Earth. Here we are. Don't worry, you can't crush a soul here. That's what life on Earth is for. Whoa. It's my life. Can you help me get back? Come on. This won't be a disaster, that's for sure. You're out there somewhere, little soul. Life is full of possibilities. You just need to know where to look. Don't miss out on the joys of life. <laughs> like uh, pizza. I can't smell. We can't, we can't taste either? All that stuff is in your body. No smell, no taste. Or touch. See? Okay, I get it. Disney and Pixar Soul. Get ready. Your life is about to start. Start streaming December 25th. Well, it's been a year. Literally, it's been a year. This Sunday, today, is the one-year anniversary of our first attempt at a virtual gathering. It was a podcast. We canceled the week before because the stay-at-home order came too late in the week for us to reshift our energies for that Sunday. But the following week, March 20th, I was scheduled to speak because Mike was gone at Disney World or something like that. You know, living a life without rules and common sense. See, we were thrown off guard. I think everyone was. 
uh, a novel disease plaguing the world, schools closing their doors, empty shelves at the grocery store. And to make matters worse, I had forgotten the Zoom password I set up three years ago. It was chaos, lonely and quiet, but nonetheless chaos. Looking back, I think we would have done things differently, but there were so many questions, right? I mean, it was really only supposed to last three weeks and we were going back into the auditorium for Easter. Even the craziest of conspiracy theorists thought it would, worst case scenario, last until the summer. No one anticipated the effect that this would have. The mental devastation of unknowns, the physical devastation of a disease, the spiritual devastation of distance. And now we're about to spend our second Easter gathering virtually. Hard to fathom the impact that this has had on all of us. And so with that, it's been quite a struggle to figure out what kind of message I should give on the one-year anniversary of a global pandemic. An event that has taken more American lives than World War I, World War II, and Vietnam combined. It's the equivalent of 180 individual 9-11s and 223 Pearl Harbors. So what do we talk about today? Hope, grace, mercy, forgiveness, unity, healing? None of it felt right. So I thought instead I would tell you about my friend Jay. Jay and I have known each other since the third grade. If you ever hear me talking about my brother, I'm probably talking about him or his actual brother, Luke. The three of us share no blood, but we do have a deep, deep bond of brotherhood. I think the last time I brought these guys up at a gathering, I compared us to the Holy Trinity. And that is an analogy that I continue to stand by. Anyways, Jay is a lieutenant in the United States Navy. Actually, more specifically, he's a lieutenant in the Navy's Explosive Ordnance Disposal Division. And what that means is he is the guy in the movies that the FBI or the CIA or the Navy SEALs call to disarm the bomb. Yeah, you heard that correctly. His job is to literally lead a team of 10, a, a team of 10 EOD officers who've chosen to walk into war zones with the mission of disarming active explosives. I can, I'm sure you can imagine that as a person raised to be a pacifist, he and I have had quite a few discussions over the years um, about this particular issue. And that's my favorite part of our relationship. Much to the chagrin of the rest of our family, over the past 25 years, disagreement has been Jay and I's love language. Whenever I need to work out an idea or debate, I know Jay will have the right questions and pushback to help me focus my argument. And despite my apprehensions about his chosen profession, I have a deep sense of pride in what he does and who he is. His commitment to his principles is inspiring on a level that I'm not sure I'll ever be able to reach. So when the pandemic found its way to the States, Jay was due home from deployment uh, where he was in another part of the world. And I don't think I'm allowed to say where he was, but let's just say in the hypothetical scenario where a great global superpower were to assassinate the third ranking diplomat in a Middle Eastern country via drone strike, his family might have some cause for concern. <laughs> in March of 2020, he had been there for six months. His, his wife of just over a year was, was 
alone managing their move from Virginia Beach to Bloomington where they had just gotten their new orders. And all the while, the world was slowly falling into, into disarray. I hadn't heard from him since he left the previous October. The last, the last I had heard from his family, he was, spending some, he was spending his days sweeping some straight for underwater mines. So when I got a call from him sometime in April, I thought he might be back. He might be back home or at least stateside. But that wasn't the case. Uh, he had gotten sick on the aircraft carrier and was quarantined in a hotel room off base. And his employment had been extended till June. We were hoping that that would be it. Because all of us had reached our limit, right? We wanted him home. I think he was feeling some of that same way, but he was, he was resolved. His commitment to his oath and his sense of duty, it was inspiring. His sense of duty that he exuded while he listened to me complain about our daycare closing and the dozens of daily Zoom calls, it was, it was humbling. Our circumstances couldn't have been more stark, and yet I never heard him complain. I never, I never heard anything negative. I heard frustration, yeah. I heard exhaustion. I heard a little annoyance, but nothing that would constitute a complaint. He was committed to his calling. Despite everything, his sense of duty remained. I felt that again this fall when uh, after he finally got home, we were able to sit together for the first time in months. And he sat with me in one of my darkest seasons to date and all but demanded that I see a counselor. And it's not the first time he's done something like that. In that conversation, I did feel some of that same frustration and exhaustion and irritation, but, it, but not because of me. He was feeling those things with me. I felt him enter into my darkness with me, not, not necessarily offering to know how to get out, but resolved to figure out how to do it together. I mean, he even offered to pay for my counseling. The guy who had just spent 10 months on the other half of the planet, serving his country, sweeping for enemy landmines, getting quarantined multiple times as his deployment faced one extension after another, that guy was offering to pay for my counseling. And now I'm on my third counselor since September. And finally, it feels like things are getting better, that things are shifting back into focus. Had it not been for Jay's sense of duty to me as his friend and his brother, I'm, I'm not sure that that would have been the case. I'm not sure if there was another person, not another person in my life who could have convinced me to do it. I'm jealous of Jay. You know, I, f I feel like he's figured something out. For Jay, it isn't about what he's doing. It's, it's about his commitment to it. He doesn't think about the what's as much as he does the why. And he's committed to staying grounded in purpose and his values. It's not about production and outcomes and titles for him. And I think that's why he's such a good friend. He's never comparing and contrasting our circumstances. And it's as if he's found something worth living for that is connected to something even bigger than he can fathom. Please, will you listen? You are ready to live, 22. <laughs> Not good enough. Nope, no, nothing. I just need to fill out the last box. I can... You're dishonest. All you make are bad decisions. You are unwise and you 
you won't make it in the world. Selfish. No one would ever want to be around you. Oh, you the make world needs remarkable people, and you are the least remarkable soul I've ever oh. met. Now, if you haven't seen that movie, do so immediately. I mean it. Turn me off, cancel your plans for the rest of the day, get a box of tissues, and watch Soul on Disney Plus right now. You won't regret it. The scene we just watched is one of the more powerful from what is an incredibly beautiful and powerful movie. Which, by the way, yes, is an animated movie, but it's written for adults. So if you have any hesitations about watching a kid's movie today, don't. It's for you. Kids can watch it with you. There's not necessarily anything appropriate in it, but it was written with adults in mind. Here's a line from that scene that, that really, really sticks with me. Your spark isn't your purpose. The last box fills in when you're ready. Just a little bit of background on the premise of the story. So Joe... This man um, is, is a mentor to this young soul who's not yet found their body on earth. And Joe, as a mentor, is trying to prepare this person, this soul, if you will, um, for what it means to live. And so they spend a lot of the movie trying to find that spark. What is the thing that's going to inspire this person to live? And so in this line, your spark isn't your purpose. The last box fills in when you're ready to live. What he's trying to say is you are ready to live when you're ready to live. It's a, it's a message that's equal parts inspiring and terrifying because living, regardless of your circumstance, it is really 
Nonetheless, everything else that comes in it, just living in this world, it's incredibly difficult. It's painful and it's messy and it's exhilarating and it's worth it. This had to be part of what Jesus was thinking and feeling as he gave up everything, all of his design privilege to live with us, to live alongside us, and eventually die for us. Jesus had to realize that living was the only thing worth dying for. And therefore, it wasn't just worth it. It was the only option. There's this great story about Jesus from the Gospels. Perhaps you've heard it before, but Jesus, the Son of God, he's come to earth on a mission to save humanity. Um, and that humanity, the reason why he wants to save us, it's because he loves humanity. He loves humans more than he loves anything else on the planet. And he is coming to earth to save us, to save humanity from its greatest and most powerful enemy. Us. Jesus has come to save us from ourselves. Anyway, as any great story goes, that mission doesn't exactly go smoothly, you see. There's this scene from the book of Matthew where Jesus is in a heated debate with a group of religious leaders. Imagine a press conference or uh, a, a big political moment with a bunch of reporters in a room and the principal sitting at a podium taking questions. This is what Jesus is kind of experiencing. He's just getting peppered with one question after another. And they don't seem to be concerned with his answers as much as they want to catch him, make a mistake. They're trying to trap him. They're asking questions about like what happens after we die and how much we should pay in taxes. You know, things we've pretty much figured out in 2021. Anyways, the discussion reaches a climax and you get a sense that the religious leaders are getting frustrated with him and so they throw a Hail Mary out there, right? And they ask Jesus the, the big question, the one that they've been holding back. And they ask him, which is the greatest commandment? <laughs> Mind-blowing, I know. <laughs> Actually, a little bit of context. You have to realize that the commandments, uh, or the Torah, the law of Moses as it was commonly referred to, it was everything. Following the law was critical to the Jewish faith. And these religious leaders would have gone to school their entire life debating and studying the commandment text. It would have been so ingrained in them that they, they, they would have had all five books of the Torah memorized cover to cover. Literally memorized. I can, I can barely recite the national anthem word for word, nonetheless a book. And these religious leaders have memorized five of them, cover to cover. So when they ask Jesus which is the greatest commandment, they aren't just asking out of curiosity. You see, they're, they're trying to trick him. This question was the equivalent of asking something as big as what is the purpose of life? And the answer to that for these religious leaders was the Torah. It was a life lived in complete reference to the entirety of the law. And so to place any part of it above another would be blasphemy. So when Jesus answers, and actually when he answers and says that there, aren't, there isn't just one greatest commandment, but two, I imagine that they lost their minds. It's as if in that press room, everybody stands up and starts screaming at Jesus, trying to get their point across or trying to get their questions asked. I imagine it would have just been pandemonium. But this is what he says. 
This is the big controversy. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. It's revolutionary. Can you imagine studying something your entire life? Being an expert, memorizing books on a subject, and a homeless, probably slightly dirty rabbi who's got an entourage of a bunch of shepherds and tax collectors and zealots comes up to you and says, hey, that thing, that really important thing, it really is not that difficult. It can be distilled down into this. It would have, if it wasn't revolution, I don't know what word to call it. Jesus is saying that the entire law essentially All of life hinges on these two equal commandments. Love God and love others as yourself. So if that's true, then it shouldn't be that hard, right? So let's let's take a second and break it down. Love God, love your neighbor. This is the premise of the two laws, right? Jesus said that they are equal. It's it's almost if you can't have one without the other. That as if like we can't love God with all of our heart and soul of our mind without loving our neighbor. So The question then is, how do I love my neighbor? We love our neighbor as ourselves. No, this isn't isn't a talk like that, right? We don't love our neighbor by loving ourselves. This isn't about vanity or accumulation or pride. We love our neighbor by loving them like we love ourselves. Meaning that in order to love God, we got to first learn what love is using ourselves as the crash dummy. And then once we find it and we connect ourselves to it, it's our responsibility to spread that love as wide and as far as we are capable. Pretty soon after this moment, those religious leaders would have had Jesus arrested and turned over to the Romans for execution. He would have died a criminal's death in a state-sanctioned execution on a cross. In part, because he called people to love. He was exposed for the whole world to bear witness to. And he showed us the only thing worth dying for was, in fact, love. And the source of that love, unbelievably, is already in you. It's living within you right now. And so when we say yes to a life of faith, we are making our it our duty to connect to that love. And that starts with ourselves. An old friend of mine used to say, unhealthy people do unhealthy ministry. I would say it differently. Not a ton differently, but I would say this. I would say unhealthy people do unhealthy fill in the blank, right? Jesus gave us a pathway towards health. He showed us that living and loving are the only things worth dying for. But if we stay focused on what we do or what we produce, we're going to miss it. Our spark, our reason to live is not the what's, but it's the why. It's in the living that we find life. Why else would Jesus come if living alone wasn't worth dying for? 
God of creation There at the start Before the beginning of time With no point of reference He spoke to the dark And fleshed out the Oh,
country has nothing to do with this country and his duty to me has nothing to do has nothing to do with me it has everything to do with love jay has found himself in a space where loving comes easy and someday he'll he'll need that same love in return and he'll need it as unconditionally as he doled it out for me and when that day comes it will be my duty to be there for him so in order to be able to do that, I need to remind myself every day of why I'm here in the first place. I need to find my spark. And when I do, I imagine that no amount of masks and quarantine and social distancing will be able to stop it. You know, it, it does feel like we're on the precipice of a new season. A new dawn is coming. The the purple hues of hope are becoming ever more visible as the sun sets on this pandemic. Are we out of it? No, not yet. Perhaps there's even still a long night ahead, but it sure does feel like we're approaching the end. And if that's the case, are we ready? Because the opportunity to love has never been greater. A year ago in that podcast, I ended our time together with a benediction from the Psalms. And I'd like to do the same today. This is from Psalm 31. I will exalt you, Lord, for you rescued me. You refuse to let my enemies triumph over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you restored my health. 
You brought me up from the grave, O Lord. You kept me from falling into the pit of death. Sing to the Lord, all you godly ones. Praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. Amen. Have a wonderful Sunday, my friends. We'll see you soon.